The Fields of Home by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1953, Chapter 11, The Horse Fork Disaster. <clears throat> Lord God, as I uh, consider that I'm reading this in the winter and the, the cool weather's outside, the rain uh, came today, and, and yet it's going to clear up and, and it's going to clear up because there's a cold front coming in. Uh, you move the weather through. You cause things to be dry. You cause them to be wet and to grow at the right time, to mature and to to uh, to make us into what you want us to be, even as you grow things upon the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the second day of hay hauling didn't go as well as the first. It was hot. There was a little breeze in the orchard, but the barn was stifling. It took twice as long to pitch a load off and stow it in the mouths as it took to pitch it in, uh, to pitch it on in the field. We'd have to stop and rest three or four times during each unloading, and every one of us would be wringing wet by the time we reached the bottom of the rack. And grandfather grew more crotchety as the forenoon went on. During the first unloading, he called down to me every two or three times about pitching either too fast or slow, too slow. By our third load, just before dinner time, he wouldn't let me alone five minutes at a stretch. If I happened to get hold of a big forkful, he'd yell at me to stop trying to show off before I broke every fork handle on the place. If the fork pool was too small, he'd scold me for dawdling. Grandfather would neither rake scatterings nor build load in the field. During each load, he'd come to the field two or three times, stay about ten minutes, and go away. Each time he came, he'd take Uncle Levi's fork, pitch hay as fast as he could swing it, and scold me for being too slow. I didn't say anything back when he scolded, and I tried not to change my pace. But before he'd leave the field, I'd be so furious that every muscle would be quivering. Millie didn't help with the last unloading of the forenoon, but went to the house to get dinner. When we went in to eat, there was only fried pork, fried salt pork, boiled potatoes, and Johnny cake. Uncle Levi looked the table over when he sat down and said to Millie, If you told me this morning you was out of meat, I'd have killed a hen while Ralph was doing the chores. Ain't nothing the matter with salt pork, Grandfather snapped at him. Added a plenty when Stu was a boy to home, didn't you? Never heard tell of nobody starving once they had salt pork to eat, did you? Eggs is 18 cents, a dozen, and the hens is all laying. Uncle Levi didn't answer. He ate only one small potato and a couple slices of pork. No one said another word till the meal was finished. It was the first dinner since Uncle Levi had been there that the red rooster hadn't flown up onto the window sill behind him and tucked tucked for something to eat. As Uncle Levi pushed his chair back from the table, he grumbled, even a cussed rooster knows better than to come to a dinner of salt pork and hanging time. Then, as we were leaving the kitchen, he turned to Grandfather and said sharply, How do you expect Ralph to get hold the pace you're trying to set him with nothing but salt pork in his belly? Grandfather flared right back at him, but I didn't want to be there while they were wrangling, so I went to the barn and hitched up the horses. The afternoon was hot and muggy. Millie and Uncle Levi tried to get Grandfather to slow down a little in his pitching, but they only made him worse. Each time he came to the field, he'd grab the fork out of Uncle Levi's hands, race into the pitching, and yell at me for being shiftless and lazy. At the starting of the second load, Grandfather made me so mad that I didn't care if he did kill himself. I wasn't going to hold a steady pace any longer and let him keep yelling at me for dawdling. I shoved my fork deep into the shocks and pitched as hard as I could. The faster I worked, the louder Grandfather yelled at me, till Uncle Levi called Thomas. So guys wonder you ain't drove the boy away already. Grandfather was winded and his voice was squeaky when he yelled back, Mary sent him down here for me to make a man out of him, and by thunder, I calculate on doing it. Then he tore into the pitching again. Instead of taking care, taking each shot clean, he'd grab a forkful off the top, heave it onto the rack, and shout, Get up at the horses. I had to go just as fast as he or be left behind. Then I jabbed my fork too deep into a big shock, sprung the handle 
too hard and broke it. Grandfather was beside the yellow colt when I broke the fore candle. He jumped up and down and shouted so loud that he set the old horse dancing and shaking his head. Then the colt braced his feet and went into a buck. I leaned on my fourth handle and waited while Grandfather yelled, Get up, get up, get up, you tunnel for the fool hoss. He grabbed a bridle rein, tugged on it, and shouted into the yellow colt's face, Get up, get up, you worthless good-for-nothing crow bait. Get up, I tell you. Then I did the most foolish thing I could have done. I stepped over and said, If you'll let me quiet him down a bit, I think I can make him stop balking. Grandfather yanked his hat off, threw it on the ground, and shouted, Tarnal fool, boy, never in all my born days seen such an all-fired, know-it-all boy. Stand out of the way, I tell you. What do you think you could do to stop a balking horse? Wire his ears together, I said, and I said it quietly. Wire his ears together, Grandfather stormed. Don't you never let me catch you wiring a critter's ears together. I was mad enough that he, I had to be careful not to shout back, but I kept my voice down and said, All right, I won't. What do you want me to do now? Do? Do? Start fetching hay to the rack. What in time and tarnation you calculate on doing? Time flies, I tell you. Levi, give Ralphie a hand fetching hay Well, whilst I go to the barn for another fork. Millie, go get your victuals ready. Tarnal colts likely as not to balk till sundown. When Grandfather was nearly to the barn, Uncle Levi stood down his fork and said, don't let Thomas rally you no more than you can help, Ralph. When he's tired and his nerves is jangled, he ain't a cowboy for what he says. Don't mean to cuss a thing by it. Something I can't ravel out is tormenting him bad. I'm sorry I broke another fork handle, I said. I've been trying to pitch as well as I could. Ain't nothing the matter with your pitching, Uncle Levi told me. It's good, and Thomas knows it. I'd give a cookie to know what's eating him. Calculate you could get that cussed yellow colt to stop balking. <clears throat> now without being able to not without doing something to make him forget he's balking, I said. I think I'd have to wire, put a wire on his ears. Don't calculate he could catch us at this distance from the barn, Uncle Levi said and winked at me. Seems to me I've seen a piece of wire hanging on the colt's harness. Uncle Levi pitched hay just the way I liked to, steady but not rushing. With a few, within a few minutes after I put the wire on the yellow colt's ears, he forgot his balking and went back to work. I'd taken the wire off the wire and we had the rack piled high when Grandfather came back to the field. Neither of us saw him coming till right from right behind us he sang out. Now you see, Ralphie, what did your old grandpa tell you? Can't nobody do nothing with the yellow colt, something to leave him be till he makes up his own mind. Ruin him for all his lifetime if ever you go putting the wires on his ears. Levi, you climb up and build load whilst I and Ralphie pitches to you. For the rest of the loading, grandfather pitched without rushing. At the unloading I heard him wrangle with Uncle Levi several times, but he only scolded me once, and that was pitching too fast. When we were finished and he came down from the mow, he was so tired his feet dragged. Uncle Levi stayed at the barn to help me unharness and feed the horses. He grumbled to himself most of the time, and I could see that he was as tired as Grandfather. I told him so and said I'd take care of the horses, but he almost snapped at me. Taint the work. Taint the work. There's times Thomas wears me thinner than a cobweb. Oughtn't to quarrel with him. He ain't well, but by hub, there's times he riles me. I think he was sorry as soon as he'd said it. While I was hanging up old Nell's harness, he stood with both hands crammed deep into his overalls pockets and said, man shouldn't be trying to work in the field at Thomas's age. Leastways, not a man that's got the malaria. Them of us that's never had it don't know how cussed cantankerous it can make a man feel. Grandfather sounded plenty cantankerous when he shouted from the house, what in thunderation you dawdle around at now? The victuals is getting cold. The only difference between supper and dinner was that Millie had baked a couple of apple pies. Uncle Levi didn't say a word when he looked the table over, but went up to his room. He was gone two or three minutes, and when he came down, he was sort of tasting his tongue. 
He passed Millie the bottle, partly full of whiskey, and said, Here, I calculate Tom has better have an appetizer before he tackles this kind of victuals. Grandfather said he wasn't sick and he wasn't tired and that he wouldn't touch a drop of the hot toddy Millie brought him. He did, though. Then he ate a pretty good supper and went to bed. I was just leaving the barn to get the cows when I heard a squawking at the hen house. I thought it might be a fox or a skunk that was after the hen, so I grabbed a stick and raced back through the barnyard. As I rounded the corner of the barn, Uncle Levi was going toward the chopping block with a Rhode Island red hen in each hand. Uncle Levi had gone to bed by the time I'd brought the cows in from the pasture, and the kitchen was dark when I'd finished my chores. The only lighted lamp was out in the summer kitchen where Millie was picking the hens. I turned a bushel basket over, sat on it, and began helping her pick. Neither of us said anything for several minutes. Then Millie asked, Who learned you to fit, pitch hay and drive horses? My father, I told her. It was several more minutes before she said, Proud of your pitching, ain't you? Neither proud nor ashamed, I said. I didn't look up when I until I noticed that Millie had stopped picking. When I did, she was looking straight in my eyes, and if her face showed any expression, I couldn't see it. You're good for a boy, and you know it. Thomas knows it. Don't rub it in. I'm not, I told her. You was this afternoon, she said. Only for a few minutes after he called me lazy. You know why he done it? To get every ounce of work out of me that he could. Grow up, she said, without any change in her voice. I don't know what you're driving at, I said. You will. Time you're his age and have to watch a young boy best you in the face of your own folks. What am I supposed to do, I asked, let him beat me and then call me lazy and shiftless? Till he calculates he, you think he's got you bested. Names don't hurt nobody. Thomas ain't going to let on to himself nor anybody else that he's bested till he drops dead. You want to kill him or let him row at you for a few minutes? I'll wager it wouldn't be more than a few times. I looked back at the hand and picked a few feathers. After I'd had a couple of minutes to think, I asked, where did you learn to make such good apple pies? Millie began to pick feathers again. All she said was, I got two oranges saved out from Uncle, from them Levi fetched. Want one before you go to bed? When Millie called me the next morning, there was a pink glow in the eastern sky. By the time I'd finished milking, it would looked as if the woods beyond Hall's Hill was afire. Hands were oiling their feathers in the dooryard, and swallows skimmed low across the uncut hayfields. At breakfast, Grandfather snapped at me. Eat your victuals, Ralphie. Get the horses, the hosses out quick as ever you can. There's a tarnal hard rain coming and five loads of hay till still in the field. With rain coming, I expected Grandfather to be awfully hard to get along with, but he wasn't. It worked just the way Millie had told me it would. I tried to act as if I were doing my best, but took two pitches for each shot till Grandfather was well ahead of me. Now that I understood, it was sort of fun to watch him tear into the pitching and hear him yell at me to stop dawdling and pitch hay man fashion. Within 20 minutes, he stopped rushing and pitched steadily a good part of the forenoon. Whenever he got tired, Millie or Uncle Levi found something for him to do away from the hayfield. We had a light shower just before noon, but the sun came out bright and the tops of the shocks were dry by the time we'd finished eating. Millie had a good dinner. She had stewed the hens with carrots and potatoes, and the top of the bowl was covered with dumplings. We were right in the middle of eating when the old rooster flew up onto the window sill and tuck, tuck, tucked. Uncle Levi wouldn't give him any chicken. He said it would, be, it would be a sin to make a camel with him, but he did feed him nearly a whole dumpling. The rain held off till the sun had dipped down below the pines on the ridge. The last little load was so high it could hardly reach the top with a long-handled fork, and there were just two shocks left in the field when the sky seemed to open and the rain came down in torrents. But we got to the barn. Before we got to the barn, we were drenched. It was nearly dark when I finished my chores and took that milk to the house, and it was raining steadily. But Grandfather was doing something at the beehives. Uncle Levi had to go 
down and argue with him before he'd come to the house. He would neither go to bed nor put on the dry clothes Millie had laid out for him, but sat shivering in front of the kitchen stove for more than an hour. He was sure the rain was going to last for several days and was fretting about its holding up the hay haying. Twice he asked Uncle Levi how many days were left before the 4th of July. The next morning, it was still raining. The sky was like a gray bowl turned down on the saucer of the valley. Grandfather had chills and fevers, so he had to stay in bed. But Uncle Levi and I hauled the old mowing machine into the carriage house and went to work on it. The wheels were the only things about it that weren't completely worn out. We'd never had a forge on our ranch in Colorado, and I didn't know much about blacksmithing, but Uncle Levi did. He never hurried and didn't care how long a job took. But when he'd finished it, with it, every cog and bearing fitted perfectly. Besides that, he liked to show me how to do things, and I liked to have him. We spent all day and late until late in the evening on the mower, regrinding gears, refitting bearings, sharpening knives, and replacing broken ones, soda welding the pitman head, and making a new tongue of dry white oak. While we were working, I asked Uncle Levi why Grandfather didn't have a horse fork in the barn for unloading hay. For the past few days, I'd been figuring out the different places a pulley could be hung from the rafters so that a horse fork would drop the hay onto any mow in the barn without a bit of pitching. Uncle Levi listened until I told him just how a horse fork would work. Then he shook his head and said, you'd have a cussed big battle with Thomas. You're always telling me how, about how your father done things and always trying to do like he done, ain't you? I didn't know just what he was getting at, but nodded and said yes, because he always knew the best way to do things. That's the ticket, Uncle Levi said. That's what Thomas thinks, too. Father learned him to farm the way he done it himself, and you'll find Thomas is pretty good at it. He ain't never changed where he could help it, and I don't calculate he ever will. I was just thinking, I said, what a platform, with a platform rack and a horse fork, two men could have put that hay up in a day and a half. It took four of us two days and a half. Uncle Levi didn't look up from his welding for at least 10 minutes. Then he stopped hammering and said, never before seen Thomas want to get away from the old place, but this summer he's got his heart sought on going to his regiment's reunion off to Gettysburg. Comes on the 4th of July, but he won't go um, less than the haze all in the barn. Might happen Thomas would stand for one of them custom machines if it was the only thing that would get the hay um, in for the 4th. Well, it's the only thing that would do it unless we have two or three more men, I said. And besides, it's re it isn't really a machine. It's just a big grapple fork with ropes and pulleys. Uncle Levi went back to the forge. In a few minutes, he said, I calculate we could whack one together out of heavy steel strap. There's plenty of pulleys around here. How about how big a bank hank of rope you figure we need? The next few days, the weather was fine, but Grandfather wasn't. His chills and fever were worse instead of better, and he had to stay in bed. That was when I found why Millie slept in the parlor. She'd get up four or five times during the night to take care of him, gave him, and she gave him in teaspoons nearly a third of Uncle Levi's bottle of whiskey. The mowing machine was, worked almost like new after we'd fixed it. Uncle Levi kept working around the carriage house while I was mowing the east field. He kept the forge going most of the day, and the ringing of his hammer would follow me way out across the field. By night, he had most of the parts for the grapple fork shaped and ready to be riveted together. I finished mowing in the middle of the second afternoon. Then Uncle Levi hitched Old Nail to the spring wagon and drove down to Lisbon Falls. While he was gone, I'd figured out just where to hang the high pulley in the barn and bored a hole for it in the ridge pole. When he came home, he had steak, oranges, baker's bread, a piece of corned beef, the size of dishpan, and a big coil of heavy rope. Before I went out to rake hay the next morning, we strung up the tackle for the horse fork in the barn. Uncle Levi stood in the center of the floor and watched me climb to the peak of the barn. When I'd hooked the pulley block to the clevis, I lifted from uh, it to the ridge pole and pushed the clevis pin through the hole I'd bored. 
You're sure that's going to be stout enough, Ralph? He called up to me. Hole looks pretty nice. The bottom edge of the beam, that's a powerful strain on it. Sure, I told him it's higher into the wood than it probably looks from down there. Just so as you're sure, he called back. Don't want nothing to go wrong with the cussed thing. It won't, I told him, then wrapped my legs tight around the new rope and went sliding down to the barn floor. Grandfather really wasn't well enough to be up. But when we were ready to haul hay from the east field, he wouldn't stay in bed any longer. I'd put all the low ropes and pulleys for the horse fork onto one side of the mow so he wouldn't notice them if he went to the barn, and we hadn't even told Millie about the big fork. Everything went fine in the loading. For half a dozen shocks, Grandfather pitched as fast as he could go. Then he ran out of breath, passed Uncle Levi his fork, and went to look at the bees. When Millie and I drove the first load into the barn, Grandfather came from the beehives and climbed to the low mow above the tie-up. He didn't notice the pulley ropes until I picked up one of the blocks, slid to the barn floor with it, and called to Millie to follow me. The pulley wanged against the wagon tire as I turned to catch it over the floor hook. The noise set Grandfather off like a charge of dynamite. What in time and tarnation, he yelled. Then he saw the long rope dangling from the ridgepole and Uncle Levi's horse fork hanging in the space between the two high mouths. I heard his fork slam down onto the bare boards of the low mow and he shouted, What kind of fiddle, fiddle faddly dedad federal's going on here? Get that tarnal contraption out of here. Get it out, I tell you, before it falls on somebody's head. Levi, what in thunder have you been sneaking into this barn whilst I've been sick? Get it out. Get it out, I tell you. When Grandfather stopped for breath, he was, it was easy to see that Uncle Levi had expected just what was happening. He squatted down on the edge of the high mound and talked to Grandfather like a mother talking to a little boy who doesn't want to go to bed. He kept telling him over and over that the horse work was only so he didn't have to break his back pitching hay all the rest of his life and so he could get the haying done in time for him to go to the reunion. Every minute or two, Grandfather would shout, Lazy man's contraption. But each time he said it, a little more of the fire went out of his voice. In the end, he let us try it, but he wouldn't let me hitch old Nell on the tote rope. The yellow colt didn't like the whiffle tree dangling around his heels, and I had to tie his blinders together before he'd stop rearing and kicking. The last thing I did before I climbed up to set the fork was to tell Millie to lead him real slow and to stop quick if I shouted. Except for the yellow colts jerking and jumping, everything went pretty well with the first forkful. There was about 300 pounds on it, and Uncle Levi yanked the trip line just as the right second to toss the hay clear to the back of the high mouth. Grandfather was still grumbling, lazy man's contraption, after the first load went up. After the third one, he climbed the ladder to the high mount, stood watching like a little boy at a circus. By fire, heard him sing when Uncle Levi jerked the trip line on the second load, on the next load. Everything went, would have been all right if it hadn't been for the yellow colt and the way the hay rack was built. I had to bounce my whole weight on the fork to get it through the matted hay in the bottom of the load, and it bounced, I bounced it a little too hard. The yellow colt started off as if a firecracker had exploded behind him when he'd taken... Of the slack on the tote rope, the whole rack jumped a foot in the air and crashed back onto the wheels. I knew in a second that I'd pushed the fork too far and hooked the grapples under the floor of the hay rack. But instead of stopping when I yelled, whoa, the yellow colt lunged hard into the collar. There was a ripping screech from the top of the barn, and I looked up just in time to see a big piece of ridge pole come shooting down past Grandfather's head. It missed him by about six inches. Grandfather wrapped his arms over the top of his head and crouched on the edge of the high mow as the strip of ridge pole shot into the barn floor and stood quivering. Ropes were still trailing behind it when he slammed his hat down onto the mow, jumped on it, and shouted at Uncle Levi, Get out of here! Get out of here before you stave the whole place to smithereens! Get back to Boston before I lose my temper! Did you never come down here? Don't you never come down here again with no more of your infernal contraptions? I tried to tell Grandfather it was all my fault, but he wouldn't listen to me. He wouldn't listen to a word from Uncle Levi either, but followed him to the barn floor, shouting, Don't you durst come sneaking around here with your newfangled contraptions. 
get out of here, get out of here, I tell you. <clears throat> I drove Uncle Levi down to Lisbon Falls, and he wouldn't even let me tell him how sorry I was that I'd messed everything up. He only grumbled, say nothing, say nothing when I tried to talk to him. Once he said, and I think it was to himself, should never, should have known better. Ain't no sense of trying to change him. The rest of the time, he just sat there looking like a tired old bear. He didn't say anything till more till the train was pulling into the depot. Then he picked up a suitcase, took hold of my shoulder tight and said, don't let Thomas kill himself just uh, working, just to prove he was wrong. He had one foot up on the car step when he turned back, passed me a ring with four keys on it and said, here, Ralph, you might have need of them. Them's to the drawers and the workbench. Then his voice dropped to a whisper. The bottle's under my mattress. See, Thomas gets a spoonful of for supper every night. So they tried something new. It actually worked, but tried to uh, do too much. That's too bad. But still, um, he's learning more. He's learning how to be patient and to let grandfather just be grandfather and not try to um, take the words to heart too much. Sorry to see Uncle Levi go. I love you guys. Have a good day.